I was recently reading a news story about the Walt Disney Company. They were adding some guidelines for their guests uh, that were coming to their theme parks. And I know some are not fans of their theme parks, uh, but uh, I love going to Disney World and the other parks down in Florida. And I, I love their attention to detail on things. It, it's so good, second to none. Their customer service has always been pretty good. And what do we call Disneyland or Disney World? It's the happiest place on earth, right? That doesn't always seem to be the case. I remember when my family went down one year, because uh, my brother moved down there, so it made it a lot easier to go. And I was in my 20s. Mom, Dad, and I went. We went with uh, some friends of ours. And, uh, you know, you go and wait in line for things, and then the doors would open. And Dad and I always got a kick out of it because uh, it looked like these dads that were in line usually just wanted to get in and get in first. And so strollers started to be used as bumper cars um, as they're just like, I'm going to, it's going to be me. And I'm, I'm sitting there. We found it hilarious, Dad and I. We would just sit back because we're patient. We didn't have any kids with us. We were fine. Um, but we just, we just liked it. But it never got out of hand, right? Nobody ever um, did that. It was just funny to watch, watch grown adults rush to be first. Well, back to the recently added guidelines. Apparently, things occasionally get a little out of hand nowadays. Disney felt that they needed to add some guidelines telling people to be the magic that you want to see. Okay. <laughs> um, the reason that they did that is I guess over the last year and a half, there have been a number of like literal fights that have happened <laughs> in the theme parks. Like I watched one video and it was like right outside Peter Pan's ride, um, which granted, if you waited in that line, you're ready to throw down with somebody, but... Like, these two families were just, like, wailing on each other and kicking people when they were down. I mean, it was, it was insane. We're in the third week of a series, which we've titled, How to Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. Our main passage that we were using as a launch point, like Tom talked about, and all of the different aspects of what this entails is 1 Corinthians 13, which is probably a pretty familiar passage, especially if you've ever been to a wedding. This is the love chapter in the Bible. Ultimately, we want to use this passage to show us all how to follow one of the greatest commandments that God has ever given us. In Mark chapter 12, there's this teacher of the law who's questioning Jesus about which of all the commandments was the most important. And Jesus said the most important one was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he added in Mark 12, 31, the second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Already we've looked at loving your neighbor through compassion and through patience. And today we look at expressing kindness. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Paul writes that love is patient, love is kind. Doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. The New Oxford Dictionary defines kindness as the quality of being friendly generous and considerate. I think there are certain areas where we do see this kind of kindness in the world, but I also believe that it's something that can be a struggle for people to do that in all aspects of their lives. What we want to do today is we want to look and see it, look at the scriptures and see how they look at the idea of kindness, because 
That's one way that we're going to be able to love our neighbors well. Jerry Bridges defines kindness as a sincere desire for the happiness of others. He writes that I tend to think of kindness in terms of our awareness of those around us and the thoughtfulness that we can express to them, almost incidentally. So kindness, first and foremost, is something that we are supposed to be. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul reminds them in Colossians 3.12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We are to clothe ourselves with these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Like I said earlier, we've already spoken about compassion and patience. And we're going to be talking about humility next week. But why are, are we to clothe ourselves with these things? Why, why are we to uh, put on these traits as we go out into the world? If we look back at the passage, we're going to see that we are to set our hearts on the things above, not on earthly things. Paul then goes on to talk about putting to death the things of the earthly nature, and he gives a list, things like sexual immorality and impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, and others, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. And then he says in Colossians 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, you've taken off that old self, all of those things, and he says, you put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator here there is no gentile or jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave or free but christ is all and is in all so we are to be kind we're to we're to clothe ourselves in kindness among all those others because we have been renewed we've been made new in christ we are not the same as we were before Christ rescued us from our sin. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul similarly says, get rid of those things that are not godly. And in Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus, or just as in Christ God forgave you. The book of Proverbs always has some good a counsel for people who are looking to see how life should be. And it has some of this for kindness as well. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Or verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 21, It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. 14, verse 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. The early Christians made kindness, it, it was so distinctive in their lives. In the second century, there was an early, early Christian writer named Tertullian, and he said that the non-Christians of the world would call believers Christiani. It, it's a play on the Greek word for kind. Instead of saying Christiani, which would be made up of Christ, they say Christiani, which is made up of kindness. 
These believers were that distinctive in how they treated people outside their faith. That's what they were known as. And so we've seen that, that we should be kind, but we haven't really touched on why specifically. But really the ultimate reason is we should be kind because God is kind. Now, if you're like me at all, kind may not be the first thing that comes to mind when you think about God. I tend to think like the big picture things, creation, salvation, redemption, all the shuns. Um, but God is kind and he is described as such in the scriptures. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness leads us to repentance, to turning away from that sin. I mean, think about that. If, if God were not kind, would we be quick to go to him to repent? Or would we just be afraid because we think he's going to smite us or something. I know I joked, as a lot of people do, when you know, I first returned to church, it would be about 20 years ago now, 21 years ago, and uh, I fell away from my faith in college, and uh, I thought that when I, I went back to that little old church that was Maple Grove um, back then, I thought that I was going to catch fire when I walked in the doors. Thankfully, I didn't, yeah, which is, it's pretty awesome. But I didn't because, you know, our, our, God could have done whatever he wanted. But he didn't because he's kind, and he wants us to come to him. He wants us to be repentant. As you read through the scriptures, you see God's kindness over and over. I mean, so many times the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord the book of Judges, great example of this. I mean, you see the Israelites just fall into this downward spiral where they're going to do whatever they wanted to do. They're going to follow pagan gods. And the Lord would end up giving them over the hands of neighboring people who would conquer them and then oppress them. And then the, it's like the people would come to their senses and then they would cry out to God. And in his kindness, God would respond by sending them a rescuer, somebody who would free the people. That person would lead them for a little while, but eventually they would die. And then the cycle would start over. God's kindness is shown in his grace. Even though people continue to sin, God in his grace has sent a savior. Not one who is temporary like the judges, but an eternal savior in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Or as he wrote to Titus in Titus 3, verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And since God is kind to his people, we should be kind as well. God's kindness has no distinction. He is kind to everybody. And so we should be too. In this world, though, that seems to be something that 
can be hard to do, especially when you're trying to be kind to everybody always. How on earth are we even able to do that? But it's only because kindness is something that God gives us the ability to do. In his letter to the Galatian church, Paul contrasts what life looks like when you live for yourself and your sinful desires when you, or versus when you allow your life to be led by the Holy Spirit. He says that if you walk by the flesh, then the results of your life are going to be sin. And again, he gives another list in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. He calls these the acts of the flesh. He says those are obvious. They're sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a fun list to go through. But then he talks in the very next verse how life with the Spirit looks like. Verse 22, it's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there's no law. Kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And the motivation for kindness, it's given to us through the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit resides in you, your life changes. You cannot help that. But you still have a role with that, though. God will give you the motivation to be kind, but you've got to take that motivation and actually put it into action. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Before we do that, though, I want to look at a few examples of people in Scripture who have lived out kindness in such a way that they stand out. And the first is back in the very first book of the Old Testament in Genesis. In the second half of that book, the focus moves to one family, the family of Abraham. Abraham made a covenant with God. Really, God made a covenant promise with Abraham that Abraham would be the father of um, a nation's. And, and that happened. He had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob ended up having 12 sons. And I know parents aren't supposed to have favorites, but Jacob did. And that was his son, Joseph. Joseph dreamt that one day he was going to rule over his brothers. And of course, his brothers, not real happy about this. So they take the very um, rational thought of, I'm gonna, we're going to kill him. Thankfully, they didn't go through with that. Um, but then instead they sold him into slavery, which is also not the best. This started a very interesting time in Joseph's life because he would become a servant in a household, and then somebody lied about his character, so he was thrown into prison. And there he helped somebody, and he was like, please don't forget me. And then they forgot him, and so he remained in prison for years. But eventually he found himself before Pharaoh in Egypt, and and. He was God's spokesman to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And then he was placed as second in command in Egypt behind Pharaoh. And because God predicted a seven-year famine in Pharaoh's dreams through Joseph, he was put in charge of the food stores, and Egypt was prepared for that famine. 
The other nations were not prepared, and that included Israel, or Canaan at the time, and, and Joseph's brothers. They were sent by his father Jacob to go get food, buy food from Egypt. But since Joseph was in charge of handling all the transactions for that food, he was there and he recognized them. Now try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes here. Like, here's what you've gone through. Your brothers wanted to kill you, but they, they didn't, so they ended up just throwing you into a cistern for a little while to wait for the right time to do it. Um, but they don't go through with it. They still want to get rid of you. So they sell you into slavery. Then you're wrongfully imprisoned. You're thrown into the Egyptian dungeons where you stay for years, only to end up becoming one of the most powerful people in Egypt. And now, after years of not seeing your family, they come before you. They don't recognize you. You recognize them. And they are at your mercy. What do you do? Do you throw them in prison? Do you have them killed? What do you do? Joseph did neither of those things because Joseph demonstrated kindness to them. After Joseph revealed himself to them, they brought his father to Egypt. There was a wonderful reunion. And then um, Jacob Israel died. Then his brothers were afraid again. Because now, not even the protection of their father was there. And in Genesis chapter 50, verses 18 through 21, it says this. It says, His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. He reassured them. He spoke kindly to them. He didn't have them killed, didn't have them thrown into prison because he could see the bigger picture of things. He had a proper perspective on life, saying that while they were intending harm, God was going to use that for good. Joseph isn't the only example that we have in the Bible. There are so many that we could talk about, but there is really no one greater example than the one that is found in Jesus. Jesus' time in ministry is just filled with times where we see his kindness. One such story is when he and his disciples were traveling through Samaria on a trip back to Galilee. And as you may know, that's not the typical route where you would go from the uh, southern part of Israel to the northern part of Israel because there's a, an area in between called Samaria. And Jews were not overly fond of Samaritans, so when they would travel from Judea or Galilee or vice versa, they would go around the region of Samaria. But Scripture tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Like, that's the word. It's like he was compelled. They reach a town named Sychar, and Jesus stops at a well. It's Jacob's well. In the middle of the day, it's the middle of the day, and, and this woman comes to draw water. And we read in John chapter 4, verse 7, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, that piqued your interest a bit. 
and they continue their conversation, and Jesus reveals that he knows things about her that, that he could, really couldn't possibly know. She had had five husbands, and is now with a man who wasn't her husband. A whole lot of times when, you know, if this were us, we might have had to stop that conversation just from the culture. You know, she's a woman by herself. She's a Samaritan, probably committed sins in how she was living. Jesus, really, you know, for a typical rabbi, should not have been talking to her. But he did. And he didn't just chastise her. He shared the truth with her. After telling her that there was going to be a time when true worshipers would worship God in spirit and in truth, she says in verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And that's amazing. I mean, think about that. Like This is a Samaritan woman, and she is getting the good news of Christ coming. And she's excited. She goes and tells everybody. She's like, come see this man who's told me everything that I did. Could he be the Messiah? Just a simple act of kindness. There's a, that's one example. There's a couple more that I think are important when we look at Jesus' kindness. In Luke chapter 8, we see a pair of interrelated miracles that display a slightly different side to Jesus' kindness. Verse 40 in Luke 8. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. There was a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader. He came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. We've got this synagogue leader, and, and he comes to Jesus saying that his daughter is dying. And he asked Jesus to come and heal her, and Jesus goes with him. I can't think of anything that would be more urgent. But there are crowds along the way, and then something stops them. Something interrupts them. Verse 43, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and, and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. This woman, in her faith, believed that Jesus could heal her. Something that she's been suffering from for 12 years. And in that culture, she would have been declared unclean because of the law impure for 12 years. But her faith led her to believe that, you know, if she could just get close enough to Jesus, if she could just touch his cloak, then she would be healed. So that's what she does. And she is healed. She tried to do it without being noticed, but Jesus noticed. He stops. He asks, who touched him? I remember what he's doing, though. He's going to heal somebody's dying daughter. But he stops. He's interrupted. The woman comes forward, tells Jesus what happens, and then in verse 48, he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And then somebody comes out from the house of Jairus and tells them that his daughter has died. 
But in verse 50, it says that hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And that's exactly what happened. In his love and kindness, Jesus healed that girl. He didn't have to, but he did. What we see here with Joseph and Jesus, they're they're very dramatic depictions of kindness. Not typically what we're going to see in our everyday lives, but we can learn from these in order to show kindness in our lives. Many times, though, kindness is it's not the dramatic actions. I would say a lot of times it's a whole lot smaller than that. It's being thoughtful for others in any situation. It's being willing to do something, to take action, even if it might be inconvenient. It's doing something that you don't have to do, but you choose to do. It's understanding that you're probably not going to get a payment or a reward for it. It is forgiveness. Like Joseph, Joseph forgave his brothers because he could see that bigger picture, telling them that what they intended for evil, God used for good. Kindness is forgiveness. Like God. Psalm 103, it's an amazing description of this. Verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's God's love for us. Kindness is treating others with love and respect, regardless of who they are, just like Jesus did with the woman at the well. I mean, that's what this series is about anyway. It's about loving our neighbors. Kindness is also letting yourself be interrupted. A lot of times our culture is go, go, go all the time. Interruptions end up being something that irritates us more than anything, and then we get a little unkind. Maybe that's just me. When we decide ahead of time, though, that we're going to allow ourselves to be interrupted, it makes it a whole lot easier to be kind. We look at it as an opportunity instead of an annoyance. And kindness, I think, will be our first response. These are all ways that we can show more kindness in our lives, but what does it look like for you specifically? Where can you show more kindness in your life? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's when you're out and about running errands. Maybe it's when you're in traffic. Where is it that you need to work on your kindness? Find those areas and pray that God would work in you to give you the will, the ability to change. I want to finish this by telling a story about a man who I think exemplified this kind of kindness in his life, and that was Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. You might have noticed the graphics for this series on the bulletins or on the screen. They are definitely a nod to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, something I grew up with. In uh, 1969, Fred Rogers appeared before a U.S. Senate subcommittee in order to increase the funding for PBS to $20 million. 
You may have seen the clip. There's a clip on YouTube of Mr. Rogers' testimony. And uh, I know it's featured in the documentary, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And in this clip, it starts with the Rhode Island Senator John Pastore, who starts out pretty gruff, really. But then Mr. Rogers talks like <laughs> Mr. Rogers. Uh, in his very deliberate way of speaking, he talks directly to Senator Pastore. Like, he doesn't break eye contact. He doesn't look at notes. He just, like Mr. Rogers, just is kind to the man and really is just talking about his philosophy on how his television program could help children and how television programs like his could help children. And about halfway through the six-minute presentation, you see a change in the senator. And at the end, he says, well, it looks like you just earned your $20 million. That is not the normal <laughs> for a senator, I don't think. But Mr. Rogers treated this gruff senator with kindness, and it actually led to a friendship between the two. They would correspond with each other via letters for years following. There's a great quote that Mr. Rogers said, or is at least attributed to him. There are three ways to ultimate success. The first way is to be kind. The second way is to be kind. The third way is to be kind. Let's do that this week. Let's love our neighbors by showing them kindness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our prayer, that we would show kindness to our neighbors, to show love to our neighbors. You say that that is the, the second greatest commandment is like the first. We are to love you first and foremost. And we do. You are creator, sustainer of everything. But we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, give us the change in our hearts, because that's where it's going to come from. It's from that heart change enabled by your Holy Spirit living in us. We are only able to have that heart change by following your Son. Because he came to die for our sins. The thing that, that separates us from you. And he took that on himself so many years ago on the cross as the perfect sacrifice so that we might live. And as we live now, we just want to show others your love, the love that you've shown us, the kindness that you've shown us. Help that, help it fill us up so much and it, it spills over to the people around us. Father, help us to see those areas where we need that this week and help us to live that out, to be kind. We thank you. We love you. We come to this time in our service where we, we take the elements of communion, the bread representing the body of Christ, the juice that represents the blood 
And we take those and we remember the sacrifice that he made so many years ago. But we also celebrate because we know he did not stay dead. We know that he is alive even today and he is with us. We thank you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.